sure my shirt is tucked in. I just wanted to humble brag that I biked to church. It's really humble because it was an electric bike, so don't get too excited about it. Uh, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We are doing kind of a one-off section. We're going to be in the book of Genesis, so if you have your Bibles along, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 18. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 20 through uh, 32. That's what Scott read earlier. It's a familiar section. How many of you are familiar with Abraham's prayer? You have to raise your hand too high. Yeah, I mean, you, don't, you can humble brag. You're like, I'm totally familiar. I know that. You're not going to say anything new to me, Pastor. The, uh, so we're going to be looking at this thing. I got catch you up with a little bit of speed. And how does this sound right here? Because for me, it's really lively. Does it sound normal to you? Okay, it sounds perfectly normal to you. This happens to me every single week. So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter uh, 18. And I got to talk a little bit of history. If I'd remember where I put my remote, here we go. Lose a vicar and you lose your mind. So here we go. So these are some of the classic times, the timelines that are really important. So if we talk about major time, very, obviously this is very professional. I put this timeline together and we're talking about major key things. So think of in the Bible, I'm going to give you some, some names and you got to put them in the right spots in your head. So uh, Jesus, if anyone gets this wrong, F minus for church going right there. So Jesus is obviously at zero. And then we've got Moses, David, and Abraham. So think in your head, who fits at which spot? You feeling good about it? You feeling, okay, we're going to go in this order. I wrote very small. Uh, Abraham, Moses, David, and then Jesus. All right, did anyone get all of them right? Yes, way to go. That's good. That means I'm a good Bible teacher because we've gone through this exact same thing before. So this, this is a big deal. So we're talking about Abraham. Abraham's 2,000 uh, years before Jesus, and he is the father of the Jewish nation. So if you think about the Jewish people, if you go to Israel, all the people, all the Jewish people on the whole planet have come from Abraham. And many would say that all the Muslim people would come from uh, Abraham as well through the other line, through Hagar. So we're in this section in Abraham. Here's the situation leading up to it. The story is Abraham is with his wife and these visitors come. We get two men and then a third man. So two men were angels. And the third one, it says very specifically, was the angel of the Lord. So whenever it says in the Bible, the angel of the Lord, that means we're talking about Jesus before he's Jesus. So the technical term that they use is the pre-incarnate Christ, which just means carnal, uh, like fleshly knowledge, but pre, before he's got flesh, this is Jesus. So Jesus is talking. You can see that in the way that they dialogue. So as Abraham talks to him, he uses a word to say like Lord, not just like master, like esteemed one. He is saying like you actually are God, and we're going to get that in a little bit. So a Abraham recognizes that this is actually God that is in front of him with these two angels. And they went there for the sole purpose of telling Abraham that they're about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So normally Sodom and Gomorrah, we don't even know where they are. It, when people guess, they usually say at the base of the Dead Sea, kind of way, way on the south end of the Dead Sea. But ultimately, we don't know. We don't know where these are because you can't go today and find Sodom and Gomorrah. So these are the cities, and then here's what happens. And it's really, really an interesting thing if you talk about the boldness of Abraham, but we're going to kind of walk through it, and I think it's, it's stuff that applies to us, so I'm going to continue here. That was our history. We move it on. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham, he's talking out loud, right? So Abraham's right there. So if you're involved in a conversation and someone says to you, I don't know if I should tell you this. 
How often does a person just walk away and say, nope, I shouldn't, and then leave, right? That's, no, no one does that. So God is talking out loud, L-O-R-D. So that means we know it's God. Um, Jesus is the true God. Um, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. So Abraham is, got, you know, he's a pretty smart guy. He's catching on to this. He's like, wait, God is talking out loud and wants to know if he should tell me something. So the story continues. Then the Lord said, again out loud, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So what is happening here? So we obviously, God knows all things. And he's, he's working for Abraham to speak in terms that make sense to Abraham, right? He could have just like flown down there. He could have done anything he wanted, but instead he comes down, he talks to Abraham with real voice, and he says, I want you to understand what's going on. So the first one is, you think I should tell him. So there's three different ways that God is very clearly uh, clearly indicating that he wants Abraham to get in a dialogue with him, right? So this would be an example. Um, uh, If you're going to buy a car, right? You're with your wife and you you go to the car lot, which is never a good idea unless you're ready to buy a car, right? Cuffies and cars you never look at unless you're ready to buy. So you go and you're looking at a car and you would just say out loud to your daughter, should I tell your mother that we're thinking about buying a car this afternoon? And then she's sitting right there. What would be the assumption? She's going, wait, this, this is a possibility. This is, something's going to go on. And then he goes, then you say that, we're going to just put in these terms. You look at the vast array of cars and you say, I'm about to walk. This is with your wife still standing there. I'm about to walk down the aisle and decide if it should be a gray one or a blue one. This is really what's happening, right? So Abraham is saying to, um, God is saying to Abraham, I have to go make a journey. And I'm thinking about, I, I'm going to destroy Sodom, but I, my mind isn't totally made up yet. Do you see how there's kind of an opening? There, there's like a window for them to have this conversation. If not, I will know. And then what happens? What happens when you're about to make a real decision when you have kids? You always send the kids away, right? No one, when you say like, we got a very important conversation to have kids, bring it in. We got to talk about something. You never do that, right? You're like, kids, can you go to the other room? All that means is the kids put their ear on the door so they can listen to what you're talking about. That's all that means. So can you go to the other room and listen to what we're talking about? And so that's exactly what happens here. So the other men, the angels, the men turned away and they went to Sodom. They're on their way, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. So if the, the, Jewish, uh, the, the Jewish commentaries, the Hebrew commentaries say that that's a very technical term. So he's standing before the Lord. It's kind of the same sense of like approaching the bench. Do you know that term? If, when you're in a court, has anyone been in court? Some of you are nodding vigorously. This makes me nervous, all right? So I've been in court, traffic court or something, and, they're, and then they, they're very precise, and they're like, you may approach the bench, and then you talk to the bench, and I'm an adult man who talks to people for a job, and you still get nervous to say whatever happened, you know, for your traffic violation or something. So this is like a very official term. So we got three things that are happening. One, he says, you know, should I tell him? And then he tells him, right? And he tells him out loud, and he says, my mind isn't completely made up. So Abraham's kind of getting emboldened, and then he said, the other guys walk away, so it's just Abraham, with the Lord, and they're standing and remaining there. So Abraham, which is unbelievable. Like, is this the weirdest story in the Bible? There's like a couple of weird ones. Most of them are in Judges. But this is one of the strangest interchanges uh, ever. Even as a kid, I th- it did not make sense because I thought, what if God just showed up in my bedroom? 
And he said, Jared, I will give you something. I knew I had to ask for wisdom because of Solomon, but then I'm like, could I have 50 fire engines? I mean, could you imagine that? And God's like, no. How about 45? I mean, could you imagine this kind of dialogue like with God? God says, no. I'm like, all right, that's good. That's good. 30 fire engines, right? I mean, could you imagine like this kind of boldness that's happening? But this is what's happening with Abraham. And, and I want you, we're going to kind of see that this is a reverse thing that we're used to. So this is, Abraham approached him. This is kind of that official, he's standing before the Lord. He approaches him. And that's that kind of that official term. That's all happening, kind of courtroom kind of talk. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth, he's recognizing that this is God, do right? What's really strange about this prayer, do you notice this is really the only, this is kind of the longest, uh, the first time we have a long recorded prayer in the Bible. And what's really strange about it? I think this is the only one of its kind, not the, the back and forth card, but it's one of the only one of its kind. And you know what's really unique about it? Moses prays for people, like Amos pre- prays for people. There's other prophets that pray for people, but who do they pray for? Let me, let me ask it this way. All right, we know there is, uh, I know there's a family here, their family got stuck in Puerto Rico, right? And there is no way that they could have communications with the family in Puerto Rico. So imagine you have family and there's a major, major storm and there's no way that you can have any kind of contact, right? You're, you're, uh, we're going to say this is his nephew. Literally your nephew lives there. Your kid lives there and they live in some town that doesn't, um, Fort Morgan. I don't, they, they have no self-service in Fort Morgan, so you'll never know what is happening. So you're, there's this major storm. You don't know what to do. And then you reach out, and you're going to pray to God. What is your prayer? Okay, you have a daughter now in college, right? I got a daughter. She leaves on Thursday. That's the end of the sermon because I'm going to cry. <laughs> she leaves on Thursday, and I find out that there is a dorm major disaster right, and in a dorm, and, and like there's a major fire or something like that in her particular dorm, what is it, Kittredge West, all right, so there's a major, so if you guys hear that, you know what's going on, what would my prayer be instinctively? Dear Lord, please let Bella be safe, right? At least let my family get out. What is super fascinating about this whole account is Abraham finds out that this whole city is going to be destroyed, right? God says, because they are so wicked, right? We're not talking about like the most upright of all people. He's not saying like this dorm, you know, like the damage is coming to the city that is super great, but it's just a natural disaster or nothing. He says, the outcry is so great. And we read in other places what the outcry is. A lot of people talk about what's the sin of Sodom. And it's not, and, and it's not sexual. I mean, even though that happens later, that's not what it is. It says that they, they're oppressive to people. They were oppressing the poor. They were not letting their voices be heard. And God said, they are such terrible people, this place has to be destroyed. And Abraham has a prayer in his prayer, which is just mind-boggling to me, is not, can at least, can at least Lot get out? He says, God, can you, can you save all of them? Because w- what if there's some righteous people there? God, God, you are not like that. You love righteousness. You love holiness. You love people who are doing right. Is there a chance that because you love the righteousness of a few people, you'll spare the rest. And this is, I think, one of the only times this prayer happens. 
in all of the Bible, right? So when you think about your own prayers today, when you get ready to go pray, and you think about some place, are you just thinking about your family? Are you thinking like, God, I'm going to lean on you that you love people, you love righteousness, you love what is good. Can you do this for them? So this is their question, right? So the Lord responds, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So Abraham's like, what did I just ask? You know, I leaned on God, I, and I, I called God to account, that this is who you are. And I'm going to pause one more time just so we, we understand that. Um, there's something else that's strange that happens here when we're talking about who God is. And I think the part that rubs people sometimes, not this one as much, because they said this city is so terrible, we expect judgment to come. But the, when I talk to people, if you just interact with your friends at work, does it bother them that God uh, allows judgment to happen? And most of the time, they, the argument is this, that God is not a merciful God, right? That God doesn't care about people. How can you love a God that in some way is going to judge people? But my question, I think, that I would ask you is, can you be a merciful person and not have judgment? Because what did it say earlier? I'm going to just back up. The outcry has reached me, Right? I will go down and see if the outcry has reached me. What is the outcry? The outcry is all these people that are being oppressed, all these people that are being crushed by the way that they function and the way that they live in Sodom and Gomorrah. They're saying, God, this isn't right. And God hears that. Can he be a merciful God and not answer the prayers of those who are being crushed? No. You cannot have both. So we have this merciful God that hears these things that says, this is not right. I have to intervene. Abraham then prays for all the people, which is mind-boggling to me because we don't have that anywhere else. Most of the time when you read prayers of like Moses, he prays for the Jewish people, like every single time. Most of the time when you have someone pray, they pray for their family. Lord, let me spare. That what I would do as a pastor, my instinct would be if some disaster happened, I would pray for the people I know and love. We would have a prayer, right? If something happened, we wouldn't necessarily pray for the whole nation, maybe, but we'd probably pray for if we had a member that was stuck in a disaster somewhere, we'd say, hey, can you help pull them out? That would be so fantastic, God. When we pray for cancer, we pray for everybody in the whole hospital. Do we pray, God, take cancer away from everyone, especially those in prison? No, right? This is a, this is a mind-blowing thing. It's like what they would call a universalistic prayer, if that's a word. By they, I mean me. That's what I would call it. So he goes on. If I find 50 people in the sake of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, I will spare the whole place for their sake. This is, a, this is an amazing thing. So Abraham, emboldened by this, sort of, says, now that I've been so bold to speak to the Lord, oh man, then he recognized what has just happened. He says, I have no right to talk to you, right? So you see two things that are happening in his prayer, and I think these are two things to remember, and these are the things that we're going to kind of come to a conclusion. One is you call God who God is, and you say, God, this is who you are. You love people. This is what I want. And also recognize, do you see that sense of it? That's the gospel. God loves all people. But what's the law end of it? Do you or I have any right to be talking to God? Do you and I have any right to be arguing with God about like his decisions? No, we don't. So that's what Abraham recognizes. He said, I'm dust and ashes. You know, I'm nothing. But I mean, I mean, for five people, I mean, seriously, for five? I mean, like just five? I mean, are you going to destroy the whole town? If I find 45, I will not destroy it. And any parent is recognizing this device that their kids use at this point. Dad, this is a good method, actually. I was teaching the kids how to do it. You ask big, and then you go small, and then they're like, fine, that's fine. Hey, Dad, can I have a sleepover with 100 friends? 
No, how about one? Okay, right, so this is how it works. Unless it's Billy. Uh, once again, he spoke to them. What about 40, right? What about 30? What about 20? And then he doesn't even know what to do, right? So, the, And just imagine, and you've all done that, probably usually in escalating things, but you, you, you're making this ask, right? And, and just to, imagine this with your boss, and it's getting better and better and better. Like, hey, I would like a raise. And they said, I will give you a raise this much. And then you say, well, I mean, what's 5,000 bucks, right? I mean, like, is, are you going to help me walk for 5,000 bucks? And then, like, it goes and goes and goes. You get to a point, though, do you sense, like, it's like a rubber band, like, stretching, when you keep asking and asking and asking, do you ever get to a point where you're like, okay, this is too much, this is too much, I can't, this is about to snap, actually the rubber band goes like this, right, and you sense that it's going about to blow up in your face, and I'm asking too much, and maybe you've only done this with Craigslist deals over email, but this is maybe what is happening, he says 20 can be found there, I will not destroy it, for the sake of 20 I won't do it, so Abraham's probably doing the math right now, right, Lot has a family, he has a wife, and he's thinking, okay, how many people are related to them, uh, what gosh, what if only 10? And this is how he said that. May the Lord be, uh, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? In the answer for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. This is a fascinating concept that Abraham is doing that. And two, he's praying for everybody, but really he's asking. We're used to this concept in America, and we really struggle, I think, to see what's happening because we're what they would call Western culture people. Who is responsible for you? Whose fault is it if something goes wrong? So if you see someone and they go to jail, whose fault is it? Does it bug you this way? How about that? When someone says, you know, my environment made me do something. Does that make you feel good or bad? Well, I would have never done this except I grew up in a home that was really lousy. And then, does that bother you? In the West, it does, right? In the, where we live, it bothers us to think that someone could be held accountable for someone who is not actually that person, right? That's very frustrating. That drives us nuts. And when you read stories, I'll give you an example of a story. So we have a story in, I think it's Joshua 7. So the guy's name is Achan, and they go to take over the city of Ai, and God says, I want everything to be dedicated to me, every single bit of everything, and I want you to take it, and it's going to go towards the temple and the Levitical use, and, you know, nothing should be held. I want all of this to be dedicated to me, and Achan gets some money, and he hides it in the bottom of his tent. And we all know the story, right? And so and they start casting lots, and it's a fascinating story as you go down it, and it, it, they cast lots, and it goes from this big group of people, right? And the same thing could happen here, and it gets it's smaller and smaller, and finally it gets down to Achan and his family. So who's the one who stole, who's the, one who stole the money? Achan, one guy. His family is there, it says, like the clan of Achan is, is sitting in front of the Lord, and, and fritting, sitting in front of Moses, and the earth opens up, and who does it swallow? The whole family. Does that make your stomach kind of drop a little bit? Now, you have kids. Some of you have kids, right? How would you feel if the law, you were the one who ultimately had to pay for it? That doesn't feel fair, right? You know, I've done my best with my kids, but ultimately they're responsible. I can't imagine. I mean, ultimately we pay the fines, right, when they're under 18 and they don't have any money. Uh, but ultimately we're the ones who pay for it, but not really, right? But what would it feel like with they're 24 years old, right? 
I've got a brother, right? I've got a sister. What happens if they get in trouble with the law and then suddenly it comes on me and they said, hey, this is what happened. They crashed a car, so now I'm going to take your car. What Abraham is asking, he wants this to be flipped, and I want you to you know, like get her whole brain around this. It's not so much, we're used to that a little bit. Sometimes when someone does something wrong, we all have to pay for it. But what he's saying is, God, is it possible that someone is so good that you'll forgive all the bad stuff? Sorry, that's the wind going in my... And so what question do you wish Abraham asked? He went from like 50 to 45 to, I think, what's he go down to like 40, 30, 20, 10? What do you want him to really ask? What if there's one? Right, we know Lot is a good guy. What, what, if, what if there's just one guy? And it, the gospel message when we talk about it is, uh, what if there was one? And we get to see this direct comparison, and I think it's something that we can appreciate, that Abraham in this end is being a priest, it's like kind of the first priestly prayer. There's kind of this cloak and dagger thing with Melchizedek when you read in the Bible, like he pops out of nowhere in Genesis 14 and then they give him money and you're like, what was that all about? I have no idea. You guys are pastors. You know what it's about? No, okay, good. No, no. Russell does, but he doesn't want to admit it. Okay, so, the, so, right, so we, right, you're, you're trying to figure this out. We don't know. And there's this priest and the priest like uh, beckons and they plead on the behalf of the people. This is exactly what happened for the, in the Old Testament. When they go to the temple, they would take the animals and they would give these animals up so that the people could be forgiven, right? But think about, and then it says in Hebrews that the greatest priest is Jesus, which is a way different thing because Abraham says, what if there's some good people, right, Lord? Does that work? And what difference is here is Abraham doesn't do that. The difference is here is when Jesus says his high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, God, think of him like me. And he doesn't just give some animal. He doesn't just say, what if there is some guy? He says, I'm the guy. And instead of just saying like some earnest prayer and go home like Abraham, that he gave up, does Jesus give up on you? No. He says, here's my request, Lord. For the sake of me, can all these people be forgiven? All of us are sinful. All of us have these things. And then for the sake of Christ, can we be forgiven? So this is where it brings us up all the way up to speed as adults. Usually when you hear about this text, uh, someone reads it and they said, did you see Abraham's prayer? Is this a good prayer? It's bold. He trusts who God is. He thinks about everybody. It's very sincere. And it, to me, that's mind-blowing because if I would ask you, double secret, are there certain people that you don't like? think most of us would say there's people that are very hard to pray for right and so this one is always depressing to me they just said pray more like Abraham but when I see that I'd get more and more depressed because I don't pray like Abraham and Abraham's a way better guy than I am but it's not really about what you do right and then I think this is what ultimately comes down from this prayer um, we can't stand before God we can't do anything and we are crushed and the one that picks us up is the Savior who says you are a priest if you read in the book of Peter but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. God has given you a, priest, a priesthood, which means God has taken away all your sins and given you the right to come to him and to speak and to talk and to plead for the whole world around you. So go ahead and ask. Your sins are wiped clean, and you have an opportunity to say, God, what can we do to change this world? So I think the thing that you go home today is say, what would this look like if I didn't just pray for myself? I didn't just pray for the people immediately around me. What would it look like 
if my heart opened up through God and his grace, just like Abraham, and said, God, you love people. You want to change people. You want people in heaven. And you lean on that. And I have dust and ashes, right? I have no right to ask this, God, but boldly, I want you to save this whole world. I want you to save the people I know. And then just see what God will do. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you truly are amazing. We are humbled when we look at Abraham's prayer, a a prayer of boldness, a prayer that just looks at uh, who you are, one that loves people and is willing, because of the sake of righteousness, you love righteousness, that you can forgive the debt of many. We see that in our own life because we had so many things that we're so embarrassed to come before you. We're humbled, we're dust and ashes, but you pick us up because of the righteousness of the one that you love so much, the one that you accept his sacrifice so that we have a new standing instead of being the one at the bottom. We are the priest to get to intervene, not just for ourselves through Christ, but we get to intervene for a world that we live in through Christ. We ask this in your name. Amen.